everyone, and welcome back to Inside the Morgue. We're your hosts and real autopsy techs, Jess and Alice. This week, we watched Harrow, Season 3, Episode 6, titled Ne Puero Gladium. We're going to be getting into the role of a transporter, some autopsy tools, and we're going to be talking about chlorine gas, which we have a very interesting true crime story for you at the end. So, let's get into it. So, we open on a body being found face down in a pool. Cut to the Emmy's office, and they're bringing the body in, and the decedent is a Miles Finney. He was 19 years old. He was found in the pool of the apartment complex he lived in, and he was found by a neighbor who called the paramedics, but they couldn't revive him. None of the residents saw or heard anything. Miles was friendly with the other residents and did odd jobs for them around the apartment, and he had also been diagnosed with moderate intellectual and physical disabilities. But he apparently was a very good swimmer, so they don't know how he ended up apparently drowned in a pool. He was in the foster system prior, so finding next of kin is difficult. Harris has to start by getting him measured and weighed. And this is a green flag, because when our transporters bring in a body, this is the first thing they do. They weigh, we have like a big scale that you can wheel the table that the body is on, like right onto the scale. And it says on the wall the weight, and you just subtract the weight of the table. We have the weights of the tables written out on the wall, so you can just subtract it, and you get the weight of the body. And they also use, like, a big meter stick to measure the height. And all of that's documented. They start the exam in the morgue, and they have a tech team! They have a tech! I love that. They have a tech as a part of the team. I was so excited. She was, like, taking pictures and doing stuff, and I was like... That's what we do! I'm assuming she's a tech, because there were two docs in there, and she kind of seemed more of the role of a tech. And they find a wallet in the decedent's pocket. Oh, sorry, did I say green flag? Green flag for representation right there. I don't know if I said it. I was too excited. <laughs> so, green flag for them having an autopsy technician with them. It's so rare that we find that. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I was so excited with the birth-rebirth movie. If you all listened to our last <laughs> Halloween episode, it was still a good movie, but... No, morgue slash autopsy technician. They lied. They find a wallet in the decedent's pocket, and they see a bus pass, some change, but no ID cards or no bank cards at all. They also found candy in the front pocket of his jeans, along with some rocks, amethyst, obsidian, and rose quartz. They learned that the decedent had a mental age of 11. They bagged the property that was found in his pockets. Uh, possible green flag, because we do this too. After we document everything that was found in the pockets, take photos of it, we, we bag it as either evidence or as property to be released. Harrow says he's observing the body doing his external exam, and he says that Miles has a healthy musculature and consistent pallor on the legs, arms, and abdomen. So pallor just means that he looks pale. The other pathologist notes some light bruising on his right arm that looks recent, and the tech theorizes that it could be a pressure contusion from a thumb, like he was in some kind of altercation, or maybe from the fall if he hit his arm on like the pool ladder or something. Harrow says it could have happened hours before he died, so they can't be totally sure. Harrow notes that the eyes are bloodshot and there is swelling of the eyelids, and the other doc points out that that could be because he was immersed in chlorinated water for several hours. Hera uses the endocam to look down the decedent's throat, and they see what looks like chemical burns down the throat. So they open him up for a closer look, and we see they use clippers. I was so excited during this whole scene. <laughs> they use clippers, and they're like the exact clippers that we use. Literal hedge trimmers. Literal just clippers you get at Home Depot. Like, I've seen the ones we use at Home Depot. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the morgue, every time we get a detective or a cop, they're like, wow, I have those at home. We should start 
like, I was going to say, we should start, like, making like it. a tally. A tally, or, like, making them put, like, money in a jar every time somebody says it. Like, all right, let's see. <laughs> put this in the coffee fund. Put a fund. dollar in the jar. Yeah, put a dollar in the coffee fund every time someone's like, oh, I have those clippers at home. Or they say <laughs> something like, oh, I have this in my shed. I use them for a very different reason, though. And I'm like, ha-ha. <laughs> I say that, too, sometimes. Though. Everybody has the same jokes. Everybody's coping in their own way with what they're about to see. <laughs> But yeah, we'll give a green flag because we use those clippers. And we've said this before, but we use the clippers to basically cut along the ribs to get the chest plate off so that we can see the heart and the lungs and everything in the thorax. So Harrow notices that the respiratory system is badly ulcerated and the blisters continue from down his throat into his lungs and bronchial tree. There is fluid present, but not as much as one would think from a drowning. And Harrow thinks he asphyxiated, but not in water. He thinks he inhaled some corrosive gas before he died. So pool chemicals could have caused the burn. Chlorine gas can form if pool chemicals are mixed incorrectly. And they take out the lungs, which I looked pretty real. Yeah. From what I could see. Honestly, I was impressed. Like, they had really good fake blood, and he was, like, squeezing the lungs almost. And we talked about this mm-hmm. at work today. Like, yeah. they, it looked like how it would feel. If that makes sense. Yes. When he squished it, I could feel, I was like, okay, like that looks like it feels right. I know exactly what you're saying. It's like your lungs are very spongy, so it almost looks like you're squeezing a sponge. I want to do a deep dive on Harrow and see if they have like forensic consultants behind the scene. Like they did with Autopsy of Jane Doe, because that was Mm -hmm. one of the best representations I've seen of what an autopsy would yeah. look like and they had forensic consultants behind the scenes so that's good. that should be a deep dive for another episode yeah just like a whole like forensic consultant episode oh that would be great oh my god <laughs> hire us hollywood i'll be your forensic consultant <laughs> so he looks at the lungs and while he's squishing them he says that when chlorine gas mixes with the moisture in our eyes mouth and lungs it forms hydrochloric acid which is actually true he says it's what happened to soldiers in World War One, and that they drowned in this acid that would like form in their airways. So they're squeezing the fluid out of the lungs and they're going to use a litmus strip to test its acidity. So litmus paper comes in two colors, red or blue. So red litmus paper turns blue if it comes in contact with the base and alternatively blue litmus paper turns red with acids. So this is a pass or fail type of test that only works in acidic or basic liquids. The strip turns red in the show when they dip it in the liquid that they like squished out of the lungs, meaning that there is acid. So they do think the decedent inhaled chlorine gas, but the severity of the burns makes Harrow think that the gas he inhaled had to have been super concentrated. So they go to the apartment complex and find out that Miles took care of the pool and has been doing so for the last six months. He wouldn't mix the chemicals on his own, clean the filters, scoop out the leaves, and keep the water topped off. He had never made a mistake with the chlorine before, though, and Harrow tests the pH levels of the pool and says that they're fine. So it doesn't look like he made a mistake mixing the chemicals. They go to look at the shed and find enough chemicals to produce chlorine gas, but they don't see any signs of an accidental spill. After Miles had inhaled the gas, though, Harrow says he would have been in terrible pain, so it's unlikely that he would have like cleaned up the spill after. So if he had spilled something severe enough to cause the injuries that they're seeing at the autopsy, he probably wouldn't have cleaned up after. So he's saying there definitely wasn't a spill. The owner of the apartment complex said that Miles was smart, and when you showed him how to do something once, that's always how he did it. 
So it wouldn't make sense for him to have mixed the chemicals for the pool correctly for six months and then suddenly do it incorrectly and end up dead. They go to look inside Miles' apartment, and there's some detergent and window cleaner, but nothing that would make chlorine gas. They see more rocks around the apartment similar to the ones that he had in his pocket at his time of death. The detective says that he would review the rocks and put videos of them up on YouTube. He had 12 followers, most of whom were residents in the apartment building. Harrow was trying to figure out how Miles ended up in the pool if he died from a chlorine gas exposure. The detective guesses that maybe he went in the pool because the gas stung his eyes and throat, but Harrow says they know that Miles didn't drown, so he had to have been dead before he ended up in the pool, and he also had a fresh bruise on his arm. One of the residents comes to talk to Detective and Harrow, and she says that Miles had come to her a few days ago and asked her how he could get his bank cards back. She says that Terry, the manager and the building owner that they were talking to earlier, had Miles give him all his bank cards when he moved in, along with all the pins along with the card. Terry said that he would take the rent money out and make sure that Miles got paid for his odd jobs that he did around the complex. But... This woman says that Terry took more than rent out of Miles' bank account. He also took his disability allowance. This guy sounds like a piece of shit. And sorry, I was like really mad when I like this. They made Miles seem like such a wholesome, just like good guy. And like, yeah, And I just got really mad at this guy who was like taking advantage. And I just I got really mad about it. She had told Miles to go to the police, but Miles went to Terry directly and said if he didn't get his cards back, he would call the cops. And this obviously didn't go over well, and Terry's and Miles got into a big argument yesterday afternoon down by the pool. Harrow and the detective go to Terry's apartment, but he isn't answering the door, and then Harrow sees him run out a different exit and get in his car and speed off. The police chase after him in his car, or in their cars. And then we just see Harrow go back to the morgue and he gets a call from the detective and he goes to so goes to meet him at another scene. At this scene, a school teacher named Leonard Thompson has been dead for approximately 24 to 36 hours. He was recently suspended from his history teaching job at a local high school because a male student claimed that he had rough handled him during class. The detective found a resignation letter on the teacher's desk and Harrow goes to look at the body. When he goes to look at the eyes, he sees that they're bloodshot and the eyelids are swollen, just like Miles' eyes. This looks like it could be another chlorine gas poisoning. In another room, there's a World War I gas artillery shell. The teacher had gotten it illegally online, and this shell is on the ground and cracked. Harrow notices a green cross spray painted on it and says that it means a pulmonary agent like chlorine is in there. I wanted to give a green flag, though, because Harrow and these other detectives and crime scene techs that are, like, walking around the scene, they all have booties and gloves on, so they're not contaminating the crime scene, which I thought was cool, because honestly, we don't always see that in these types of shows. They're just, like, walking around willy-nilly. That's a good catch. I didn't catch that, because I'm just so used to them not following that rule. Yeah. Like, not wearing PPE, and that's why we always point out PPE. I know. Everybody's (laughs) like, why do you always talk about PPE? It's so important. You don't want to contaminate the scene or yourself. Right? So, the detective thinks that Leonard Thompson was handling the artillery shell when it dropped and cracked, releasing the residual chlorine inside. They bring the body into the morgue, and at the exam, they compare the histology of the lung tissue of Miles and to Leonard, and the damage is almost identical. So they inhaled the same gas in the same suburb on the same night. Which Harrow, he doesn't think that this is just a coincidence. 
They ask someone from the school if Miles had been a student there, and she says that she didn't recognize him. She also said that she didn't think Leonard was tutoring Miles, because Leonard would have told her since they'd known each other for 30 years. Did they ever explain who this woman was? Sorry, I don't know if I missed... Uh, Some random woman that they found. They didn't give the neighbor or this random woman that they're, like, interviewing a name, so I was like, uh, this lady (laughs) said this thing. Probably in the credits, she's like, woman number three. Which is woman. She did notice that Leonard was drinking more, and after the suspension, his drinking was getting worse. She says the boy that made the complaint about Leonard got him suspended in the first place. He was always a troublemaker and had been expelled from his last school for violent behavior. But the mother of the boy thought that her son could do no wrong and was determined to get Leonard fired. Harrow asks the woman for the boy's address and information, and she says the police should have it. And then Harrow responds, well, I don't. And this is for sure a red flag because, like, he's doing all of this investigating in the first place and he shouldn't be tracking down this boy without the police being involved because the police are supposed to be doing their investigation, not a pathologist. Yeah, he shouldn't <laughs> should just be tracking down this boy. Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definite, definite red flag. So then he goes to the boy's house, which... He also shouldn't be doing. No. So this boy's house is in the same complex as Miles, where the mother said that they already gave the statements to the police, and Harrow is like, well, I'm with the coroner's office, and then she lets him in. So he goes to speak with Alex, the student who complained about Leonard and got him suspended from his job, and Alex asks if Leonard really killed himself, and he kind of did it with, like, a smirk on his face and i was like you are disgusting he's like yeah did thompson really kill himself (laughs) and he's like playing a video game he's like side-eyeing them yeah he's playing a video game in the middle of this doesn't even put the video Mm -mm. game down and harris said they haven't figured it out yet the mom says that she wouldn't be surprised if he killed himself because guilt can do funny things to a person this whole family this whole family's (laughs) gross (laughs) these these two people are just like no empathy really? or emotion. Just excited that this guy killed himself, or possibly. But Harris says that he isn't there about Leonard Thompson. He asks Alex about Miles. Alex says, I don't hang out with mentals, and you were angry before. I'm angry at this. I was so angry at this. I hate this kid. He needs better parenting i know his mom clearly sucks like she and she made like no comment about that either not like oh, right? don't talk about like that if i ever said something like that and i never would my mom would be mortified my mom would be so disappointed in me my dad right? too they'd both be mortified if i said anything like that and he's like i raised you better than he that he didn't say he didn't even flinch like he didn't even hesitate to say it in front of his mom this person he doesn't even know he's the worst don't be rude God. Ugh, these kids in these shows mm-hmm Anyway, he said everyone in the complex knew him. Harrow asked if he had anything to do with Miles' death, and Alex said that he was kickboxing late and then spent the night at his girlfriend's. Also, I'm sorry, again, I've already judged this mom enough, but, like, isn't he, like, a sophomore in high school, and he's, like, sleeping over at his girlfriend's house? I I would never be allowed to do that. Oh, my God! And again, he said it right from his mom, so either he snuck out and doesn't care to tell his mom, which is what I thought, or his mom knew and just didn't care either. Like, maybe he's older, but I thought he's in high school. That's what I thought, too. I thought he was, like, a younger high schooler. Yeah, I thought he was, like, a sophomore. And I was like, damn, what? (laughs) (laughs) 
So Harrow goes back to the office and watches Miles' YouTube channel, which I thought was really wholesome. Like, he was, like, smiling, like, this kid is just, like, being himself. And it was so cute. It broke my heart. Right, broke my heart, too. So he goes back to the morgue and remembers that Miles had a bag of candy in his pocket when he died. He goes to the market where Miles bought the candy, and then he talks to the shop owner who knew him and said that these were his favorite candies. She said that Miles was there two days ago. Harrow notices a security camera, and then he asks the owner to check it out. So they watch the footage, and Harrow sees Miles buy the candy, and then he leaves the shop. And we see that he's talking to a kid outside, and the shop owner says that that's his friend, Cooper Bryant, who is Alex's little brother. The disgusting, stupid sophomore. So Harrow goes back to the Bryant's apartment, but nobody answers the door. When he's going back to walk back to his car, he sees Cooper sitting alone by the playground. He goes over to talk to him, which uh, maybe this is another possible red flag, because if any information he gets out of this kid would not be admissible in court because he's talking to a minor without a lawyer or a guardian present. Right? Like, I feel like if the mom was protective enough of Alex to get this teacher fired, Mm -hmm. that, like, she would go nuts if, like, she found out that, like, if whatever information Cooper gives Harrow. Because one, Harrow's not an investigator. There was no lawyer. He didn't even offer a lawyer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This was questionable. Red flags. (laughs) So he asks Cooper if he was with Miles at the teacher's house the night that Miles died, and Harrow thinks Cooper wanted to get back at the teacher for what he did to his brother and that Cooper wanted to impress his older brother. Cooper says he didn't want to hurt Miles or Leonard, he just wanted to trash Leonard's house. So he broke in with Miles, but the boys got distracted when they saw all of the weapons that he had in his collection, and Miles picked up the gas shell, and that's when Mr. Thompson caught them in his house. Cooper says that Miles freaked out, dropped the gas shell, and then it cracked open. Cooper ran out of the house, but Miles picked up the shell, not knowing, and Cooper says that Leonard tried to save Miles by getting him out of the house. On their way out, Leonard collapsed on the ground while helping Miles get out of the house. Miles couldn't see or breathe, and Cooper helped him get back to the apartment complex. Cooper tried to splash water on his face by the pool to help him, but then Miles stopped breathing. Cooper panicked and pushed him in the pool, not knowing what else to do. Cooper feels guilty because Miles didn't even want to go to Mr. Thompson's house. Cooper made him. Harrow tells him that he needs to go to the police, but Cooper says that he thought about that, and but he doesn't want to go to jail. And then he pulls a fucking grenade out of the backpack that he has by his feet. (laughs) I lost my mind. Okay, because, like, as this whole, like, confession from the kid is happening, I'm looking at my screen, like, as I'm watching it. There's still, like, ten minutes left in the episode. I was like, what else can they do? Like, he's confessing to the crime. Like, they got their person. And then he pulls out a grenade. (laughs) I was not expecting that. So he stole that from Mr. Thompson's weapon collection. But so he already had pulled out the pin in the grenade and was holding that within one hand and had the actual grenade in his other, like holding down the the little handle. Yeah. So if he lets it go, it's going to go off. Yeah. 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 
Oh my god, my fiance Dom was watching this with me. Like he just walked down the stairs as I was watching this part, and he didn't see the pin was out, and he he was like, "This isn't how a grenade works." <laughs> <laughs> I actually I thought of Dom while watching this because there were so many like World War One references, and I know he loves history. I was like, I wonder if Dom knows about this. Oh my god, he's gonna listen to this, and he's gonna have so much to talk about. <laughs> Go call him in right now. <laughs> anyway. Haru tries to convince him that this isn't his fault and this is all just one big terrible accident. He says Miles wouldn't want this to happen and that he should give the grenade to Haru. Cooper does and Haru, he very gently hands over the grenade with the pin already taken out. And then Haru throws the grenade, but he throws it like almost into somebody's backyard. It's like they're within view of houses and he like throws it toward the house. And I'm like, what are you doing, Arrow? Like, obviously, like, a grenade's not gonna, like, have a huge explosion. It's just gonna be, like, like, it's not gonna create any, like, fire. He just ruins this person's <laughs> backyard. Imagine if he threw it they too ruined, far, though. He ruined the grass. And then he throws it, like, too far and it, like, goes in a window. And he's like, oh, shit, sorry. <laughs> that's the next episode is him doing that. <laughs> so he throws it towards this house. It goes off, but luckily nobody is hurt. So then we cut to Harrow talking to the detective and says that Cooper will be charged with breaking and entering and interfering with a corpse, but he thinks that the children's court might go easy on him. We see Miles' body being released and going to be cremated by the state since they couldn't find next of kin. But Harrow and the other docs and the tech give him a send-off, and the tech combed his hair back, and Harrow put his favorite rocks in his pocket before they took his body away. I got really teary during that, when they were, like, giving him a send-off. That was such a sweet moment. Because Harrow notices that the tech, like, combed his hair. And he's like, you combed his hair, but he's going to be cremated by the state. And she's like, I know, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't care, though. And I was like, ah! yeah, <laughs> I'm crying now. You just have to be like, it, it costs zero money to be a decent person. I know. It's not hard, guys. We just be nice. Just, yeah. PSA, be nice. It doesn't cost anything for you to just be a decent person and not do shitty things. And just having, like, for, like, this job, like, specifically, like, respect for the dead and, like, who you're working on because you are the last person or one of the last people to, like, see and care over them. Yeah, I know. It's definitely, like, a humbling job an experience to have like you know like you don't know these people but this is like an insane yeah experience you're having kind of with them like you're doing an exam on them to figure out what happened how did you die getting answers for them but yeah you don't know them personally but i don't know it is it's the rocks being like the personal like the personal belongings that struck a chord with me because i've had instances like that's part of our job is we have to make sure we collect all of the personal belongings that are in this person's pocket or in whatever and like sometimes we'll see something that was clearly sentimental to this person and that will sometimes like almost trigger an emotion in me and I'm like okay I gotta hold it in until like I get back later like it's like I find like a family photo in someone's pocket or like Mm -hmm. like a a, something cute that was definitely from like a relative or like a loved one and it's like oh no now I feel sad like (laughs) yeah yeah it's 
that's how I felt when he found like the rocks in his pocket and then you find out this guy just loved rocks like he loved like collecting rocks and talking about them and I was like oh yeah I definitely get that way when I see like their family photos that are like sometimes either just like some like family members will like lay it on top of the body when when they're getting like taken away to us or like it'll be in their pocket in their wallet because we have to go through their wallet yeah that always gets me so this week's episode had us googling chlorine gas crimes and there are a lot obviously a lot of world war one things came up but we also came across a story that was pretty bizarre and we thought we'd share it with you all December 7th, 2014, shortly after midnight on that Sunday, fire alarms started blaring in the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Rosemont, Illinois. Phaedra Lewis, who was staying at the hotel, was ready to just ignore it, figuring that the alarm was probably just tripped by someone smoking. However, another hotel guest told her that they were being evacuated immediately. Phaedra didn't even have time to put on a jacket and was rushed to the nearest stairwell where she smelled something. She said the odor was, quote, for all the world, the worst pool shock you've ever been around. And for anyone who doesn't know, pool shock is like a pool chemical. Like, it was eye-stingingly bad, even outside the hotel. The Rosemont Police and Fire Department arrived at the scene shortly before 1 a.m. on December 7th, 2014. There were also a ton of reporters that arrived, along with a hazmat materials technician wearing hazmat suits and later... FBI Chicago's counterterrorism team would even arrive, along with the Weapons of Mass Destruction Unit. Authorities soon discovered that the intense odor and fumes were due to chlorine. 19 people were sent to the hospital as a result. Phaedra briefly appeared on the news after evacuating the hotel, and more than 600 miles away, her poor mother was woken up out of bed and told that her daughter had been involved in a terrorist attack. Phaedra was quick to assure her mother that she was fine, but other people started seeing her on the news and started calling and texting her to see if she was okay. And they also asked another question. Are you at a furry convention? This incident hit national news not just because of the potential terrorist attack, but also because it so happened to coincide with Midwest Fur Fest, the second largest furry convention in the country. This annual event brings together over 4,000 people from all over the world, many of whom will roleplay as anthropomorphic animals, aka furries. The Rosemont Police Department launched a criminal investigation into the spread of the gas, enlisting the help of federal agents. But, as far as they could find at the time, and as far as I could find more recently, no charges were ever filed and no arrests were ever made. Detectives from the Rosemont Police Department declined to comment directly on the case, but reports that were provided to Vice, which is where I got this article, show that in the days that followed the incident, officers interviewed at least 30 hotel guests, more than 19 hotel employees, and a number of hospital workers and taxi drivers and staff employed at the local pool and hardware supply stores that sell chlorine. While officers investigated the whereabouts of several individuals, it's unclear how many were considered suspects during what time. Who would have done it? Was it a furry from the inside who was looking for attention in some sort of messed up way? asked Tommy Bruce, who was a Maryland-based photographer who attended Midwest Fur Fest in 2014 and who has been documenting furry conventions all over the country since 2012. When first responders arrived at the scene that night, they used a chlorine meter to detect the source of the smell. They wore self-containing breathing apparatuses and went to the ninth floor of the hotel. There, the meter recorded a gas level of 1.4 parts per million, which is about when humans would experience mild irritation and can typically tolerate it at that level for about an hour. When the first responders reached the stairwell of the West Wing, 
That is when the gas levels elevated to 60 parts per million, which exceeded the meter's reading and also is the double the rate which humans will immediately feel shortness of breath and chest pain. Humans who inhale that level of chlorine in the atmosphere risk contracting toxic pneumonitis or acute pulmonary edema, which can develop into respiratory disease. Hotel guests had complained about itchy, watery eyes and trouble breathing earlier that night, and Phaedra Lewis, who was on staff for the Midwest Fur Fest, said, quote, But it was at night during the convention. Many of them had had a few drinks, so our medical team assumed, oh, well, somebody spilled something on the stairs. Maybe a maid did it or something. It was only fairly late into the evening that it became clear that someone had done this deliberately. Firefighters found evidence in the stairwell between the 9th and 10th floors, which was a white powdery substance and broken glass from what appeared to be a mason jar. So it looked like somebody smashed a mason jar filled with this chlorine powder. The firefighters left the stairwell and requested backup once they noticed a yellow and green liquid running down the walls. When the hazmat technicians arrived, they swabbed eight samples, both from the liquid and the powder, from four different stain patterns on the walls and the landing of the stairwell. The samples were then packed in absorbent pads in a steel drum, but the tests later conducted came up inconclusive due to a faulty instrument, according to police reports. So they still didn't figure it out. Investigators had already confirmed the heightened levels of chlorine gas, though, with the chlorine meter, so they were pretty confident that it was chlorine gas. It's unclear, though, whether there were substances other than chlorine presence. All the hotel guests were evacuated to the nearby convention center, and in this chaos, there were some moments of light. The furries were already warm in their animal suits, and they were able to give up their jackets to people who were cold and didn't have their jackets. Or the man who went to McDonald's to bring back McMuffins to pass out. Or there were neighbors who came and brought hot chocolate to everyone who was evacuated. And nearby hotels offered rooms to anyone who needed them so that they didn't have to sleep on the convention center floor. The evacuation ended up lasting almost five hours, with firefighters ventilating the area by opening the doors on the first floor. Around 4.20 a.m., the chlorine levels read at zero on the meter, and hotel guests were allowed to return to their rooms. The convention ended that Sunday, and Midwest Fur Fest continued the next year with no problems. However, as far as we know, the chlorine gas from 2014 is still a mystery. We got this information from a Vice article titled, CSI Fur Fest, the Unsolved Case of the Gas Attack at a Furry Convention, by Jennifer Swan. And we'll put it in our show notes if you want to learn more. I think that's insane that they still don't know what exactly happened and who did it. There was something in the article that said some, I think some FBI media coordinator says that they like might have gotten someone, but they maybe reopened it to see if there was other people involved. It was, I couldn't find a clear answer in this article or like Mm -hmm. a few others that I had skimmed. Um, But again, I skimmed. So if I am incorrect and someone knows more about this, please let me know because I am intrigued like, was it a terror attack on the Fur Fest? Like, that is insane. Because it didn't happen the next year. It didn't happen the next year. I don't know. I Yeah, I don't know. And it, I, as far as I know, it didn't happen at any other conventions that year. Because I think the Vice article goes on to interview other people of the furry community. And one guy said he was, like, nervous to go to a different convention that like late in like so this was December 2014 he was going to a different convention I think in 2015 and he was scared to go because he was like everybody heard about this one and he was nervous that there was gonna be another yeah like 
gas attack. If they were like targeting yeah. this like specific community. Yeah. Oh, that's scary. Right? Well, I'm glad there aren't any other attacks that we know about. Yeah, me too. And uh, fortunately in this case, I don't think anybody died. I think 19 people were hospitalized, but were able to recover. That's good. So there were none as bad as in the show. We love a happy Yeah, ending. there were none as bad as in the show. But yeah, it was crazy when it said it was like, oh, it was like 1.4 parts per million here. And then they go down to the West Wing and they're like, oh, it's 60 parts per million now. 60. <laughs> we have to that call backup. Insane. It's insane. Oh my God. It's horrifying. I can't even imagine. But I love that, like, all the people were, like, nice and, like, brought food to them and hot chocolate and, like, surrounding hotels were, like, offering rooms. Yeah. Because it costs zero monies to be a decent person. I know. I loved when it was, like, the furry, like, the people in their suits, in their animal suits were like, oh, I'm already warm. You can have my jacket. I was like, that's mm-hmm. so nice. <laughs> everybody's just warm in their little like fox suit or something like yeah i love love when our stories end on a wholesome note i know but like i thought this was a good one for that like Mm -hmm. all the humans coming together in the end thankfully nobody died but i still i'm so curious like who did this and why i know i hope it's a random i hope that there are answers somewhere yeah so to end this episode, we tallied a total of five green flags and two red flags. So in our opinion, this episode of Harrow does pass in terms of forensic accuracy. It was a really good one for accurate autopsy scenes, I think. Yes, go yeah. watch this just for the autopsy scenes. But it's weird because you don't really ever see him over like in the body cavity. Like you see them yeah. place the clippers down, you see them using other technology, and you see him like holding the organs, but you never see like him doing a Y incision or anything like that but still very good maybe we just haven't found the right episode maybe we have watched a lot of Harrow though <laughs> all out of order there was some crazy family drama in this one that we just totally skipped <laughs> over because I had no idea what was happening it had nothing to do with the plot <laughs> Harrow has like a mystery son like <laughs> crazy there was some guy in the that worked in their morgue doing shrooms by accident he thought it was tea <laughs> He was taking psychedelics. He's like another pathologist. I need to watch the rest of season three. It was insane. (laughs) It was all over the place. So go watch Harrow, guys. It's fun. It was on Hulu. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Morgue. If you enjoy our podcast and want to learn more about forensics, keep on listening. You can find us on Instagram at Inside the Morgue Pod and DM us with anything you want to talk about. We'll be back next week for a brand new dissection. Bye. Bye.